You're listening to Redeeming Grace Audio. For more resources or messages, check out redeeminggracecc.com. My attention was drawn this week as I, as I studied to an interview that I saw, kind of a blog post interview that was given on January 20th this year. <laughs> on January 20th this year, Dr. John Piper was asked this question. He was asked, what is your sense for where race relations stand, especially in the church right now? And on January 20th, he answered, and this, this uh, segment was published, it's easy to find online, and he gave a list of biblical truths saying, these are things we stand on regardless of the times, but then he said this, he said, God's grace and judgment are gloriously unpredictable in human culture. The moment I tell you what trajectory we're on racially, God could blow it up. He, he could just blow it up. He's going to put me in my place. Beautiful things may be on the front burner for us or more judgment. The first reason that I put so much emphasis on where we stand, meaning biblically, not my predictions about where we're going. He published that on January 20th of this year. And this morning we're speaking about, we're looking at a passage that speaks about Christian unity and we live in a time of incredible division. We need this message and this word. We need to hear from the Lord. So I'm just asking you as a matter of your mind and your attitude and and heart that you would uh, lean in, that you would open your ears for what the Lord has to say through his word and that we would be willing to change and to wrestle with it. So let's dig in this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and I do recommend you're going to want the word, you're going to want the text in front of you, your eyes on it, your hands on it, if you can, because you're going to want to be able to see what God says. You need to be able to compare that versus what, what I am saying. And I hope to be faithful, but I want you to have that word in front of you for yourself. So we're in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. And I believe that we'll see this overall truth in it, that in Christ, we are being built together. In Christ, we are being built together. We meet under threat of worldwide pandemic. We meet in the middle of seeing uh, rampant prejudice and divisions among people across our culture. We meet under uh, looming and increasing divisiveness in politics. But the word of the Lord can speak to us about what it means to be united in Christ. We have a passage that will speak to all of these issues head on if we will make this our compass through the present and coming storms. So I'll read through the whole passage all at once and then kind of backtrack, start from the beginning and give us some notes on how to pull out what Paul is saying here. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, we'll read through verse 22. Verse 11 starts... Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you are at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one 
and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. God, again, we pray just to again ask you to speak to our hearts in a way that no person can, but that your spirit would speak to us individually, wherever we are, wherever we sit, and that you would bring us together some work into us as, as a body, as a group, as a congregation, that you would change us, that we would live by your word to know you and to make you known well. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So we'll start back at verse 11, and we see that Paul is speaking to, specifically to, a group of people, an ethnic group of people. He says, you Gentiles. Therefore, remember at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh. He's very specific about this. It's, it's, he goes out of his way. The uncircumcision, just in case we were unclear about what the Gentiles were, is a people group. The people who are not uh, part of Israel. And, he sa- and uh, as he uh, speaks, as he writes these verses, he writes this passage specifically to the Gentiles. It's important for us to understand what in the world's, uh, he, he's saying, the richest meaning in this text We need to understand the original context. If we want to take these scriptures and be able to apply them to um, modern situations, we need to see the principles as they were applied in the original situation. He says to you Gentiles, what is called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by the hand. So, okay, so very specifically, you Gentiles. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. If you're wondering what it means to be a Gentile, he's pretty much defined it there. Outside of Israel, not part of the nation of Israel, not Jewish. That's what it meant to be Gentile. So this context here is one of ethnicity. There is an ethnic division here that Paul is addressing in the people of God. Gentiles are all who are not Jews. There is a biological component. It means to be a descendant, to be Jewish, meant to be a descendant of Abraham, of that bloodline. It was in part biological. It was cultural. God had brought out of Abraham an entire family, but then brought that family, as it became a tribe, out of slavery from Egypt, kind of started them over culturally, 
gave them statutes and laws and customs and feasts and holidays that were completely different in the covenant he made through Moses and established a people culturally separate from the rest of humanity. That was the Jewish people also had a different religion, but they also became a different nation. The Jewish people were different nationally, culturally, religiously, and biologically. And they were, they were made this way by God himself. I would argue that there is no deeper ethnic division in all of human history than the one that God instituted and brought about by his own design and power. I would argue that there would be no deeper division than the one that says, these are God's people and this is the people, the humanity of the rest of the world. This ethnic division would say that there are two types of people in the world overall. There is Israel, God's people, and there are Gentiles everywhere, everyone else. There wasn't a deeper divide. So the first context to understanding this passage, because if we get this wrong, we read this completely different, like I have done for much of my life. If we were to jump into verse 13, but now Christ Jesus in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood. I would immediately think we're talking about sinful people, sinful individuals being brought near to Christ, uh, to God, through um, Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down his flesh. I would think he's talking about a dividing wall of hostility between the sinful individual and a holy God, which is consistent with the rest of scripture and is no less true. But here in this context, He's speaking of the dividing wall between Gentiles and Jews. He's talking about an ethnic division here, a historic division, cultural and national division. This was one of the prominent ancient walls between God's people. This ethnic division has its roots way back in the Old Testament, and this theme runs throughout the New Testament and we do not serve our people well if we do not recognize this message that has to do with ethnicity, cultural history. Notice also, Paul does not use the modern language of equality here. In this ancient text, he doesn't speak with the sociological understanding of equality among cultures. He doesn't speak, he doesn't talk about how Jews are one way and Gentiles are another way and all cultures are, might be different, but they're all kind of equal and on the same playing field. He said, you were once far off and you who were near. That the ways of God meant something, that they had been instituted and they had changed this nation and that they mattered. And if you didn't see it here, you could read further in the week where he talks about how you Gentiles were once darkened in your minds. He's not saying these cultures are the exact same and that they're totally on the same playing field. In verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So the first context that I see here that we need to understand, we need to be able to extract principles to apply is that of the ethnic context, Jews and Gentiles. 
But as we move forward, there's another context here that really helps to understand this. If there's any confusion, if you're going, what is he talking about? There's a context here that is the Jewish temple. Temple worship, something we're not familiar with. We don't go to a specific building that is considered, that is the consecrated holy place anymore. We haven't done that, uh, not in my lifetime. That's, that's not something we're familiar with, making the animal sacrifices or the ritual washings or the clean and uncleanness uh, laws and the, the ceremonial laws about how exactly to cut your hair and to dress as you go to the temple and who's allowed to stand where. This... This is something we're not very familiar with, but it's a context that's all over this passage, is temple worship. Look at, uh, to give you the idea, look at verse 21. Of course, he, he directly mentions the temple there, right? Like that's where the picture directly connects. Verse 21, holy temple. Verse 21 again, uh, structure. Verse 22, built, dwelling place. Verse 20, built, foundation, cornerstone. But way back in verse 14, he seems to already be thinking of this. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In the temple worship, as the people gathered to worship God, it was very different than the way we do now. There was different courtyards for different groups of people at the temple. And on the outer courtyard, at the furthest distance from the presence of God was the court of the Gentiles. And between that court and the others, there was a dividing wall that said, no Gentiles may enter in past this point. Only the nation of Israel, only Jewish by blood may enter in past that wall. And if you ever look at an image of the temple, those outer courtyards are on the, out, the outmost, they're the furthest away from the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctuary. And the point of the temple, the purpose and point of the temple throughout the Testaments was that God would make his dwelling with his people. That God, would, his presence would be among his people. That his presence would be on the earth. And the temple was to facilitate that. It was about being near to his people. And Paul writes, but now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once Gentiles held far off, even if you wanted to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, not the blood of goats and lambs and other sacrifices, but by the blood of Christ. You see the language of the imagery of this temple worship all over this passage. What does he mean by being brought near by the blood of Christ? How does blood of anything bring us near to God? But if we look in Ephesians chapter 1, just a few verses, a few paragraphs sooner, Ephesians 1 verse 7, he's more explicit. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. No doubt that when he says here, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ, he means this gospel of Jesus' message, the forgiveness of our trespasses, that we have been made right with God, that we have been given this peace with him, that no wall has to hold us distant anymore. And this truth gets richer as this passage moves on. So the two keys that I think, those two key contexts for understanding this passage is the original ethnic division and the temple worship imagery that runs through this passage.
These show us the ancient walls of division. But again, we have a hope here. Again, I said, I think this passage is about that in Christ, we are being built together. Together. Um, when I was growing up in the 90s, uh, we had this, the house that I was growing up in had a kitchen uh, surrounded by walls. And uh, it's not the trend anymore, but the way to get out of the kitchen was just these two doorway-sized passageways, one to the formal living room and one passageway from the kitchen to the breakfast area. And it was just through this doorway-sized area. Um, which is totally not trendy anymore. But what happened somewhere in the mid-90s in my young teen years, dad was pretty handy, and he took the wall separating the kitchen and the living room, and he knocked it out and left in its place just this uh, bar-height countertop, right? So that you could see over the kitchen counter into the living room. So the idea was that the people in the kitchen whether they're washing dishes, preparing food, or talking on the landline phone, the people in the kitchen could still communicate and be part of the people in the living room. The family could be sitting on the sofa, or you could watch the TV that was in the living room, because there, no, there was no television on phones, right? You could watch the television that was stuck in the living room with the family while being in the kitchen. He knocked out that dividing wall between the rooms. Good Friday on the cross, Jesus takes demolition day to the interior of the household of God and he knocks out the interior walls and makes a more open concept so that the people would communicate across the usual barriers that separated them so that the people would be united into one. In this original context, Gentiles who had in God's work up to that point, always been held at a distance in a separate courtyard, now being made one with the Jewish people and not just put in the same spaces. The way Paul speaks about it runs as deep as you can imagine. He says in verse 14, he has made us both one, broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that is, ceremonial law, that he might create in himself, get this, one new man in place of the two, making peace. And he goes on to say that there was one body, that of Jesus Christ on one cross, who brings us to one father, but that you have been made one new man. I can't help but see that across every ethnic divide that might still be present to this day, the spiritual reality is that in Christ, there is still just one new man. Not two, not 50. I used to be a part of a church that would say we are one church in three locations. But eventually, at some point, you recognize that we are in one church in 100,000 locations. There is only one church. Different local congregations, different leaders, different formats and appearances, but one church, as he calls it, one new man. One new man. We have a new foundational identity. A new core identity. And he came and he preached, Christ preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. That gospel message is the same wherever you start from.
For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, get this. You who are strangers and alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. What does that mean? Again, it means that our core identity in Christ is forever changed. Before I am white, I am Christian. Before I am American, I am Christian. Before every other demographic, college educated or a certain class or whatever we would use to distinguish or to divide ourselves, in Christ we have one foundation, one cornerstone. We are one new person, one new creation, and being built together. We divide over many things, sadly. And as I mentioned, this is a time where divisions are either deeply revealed and have been there for a long time, or new divisions are being made. There couldn't be a more awkward passage to preach this morning as we actually meet in one campus, but across two rooms with big old walls built up in between us. We're meeting with walls dividing us physically. We're meeting with space and geography dividing us and trying to, to bridge that with virtual connections. We are under an oppressive force of a pandemic. And I say oppressive not because of politics or policies that are being implemented, but because when there's a threat of uh, contagious illness to one another and we have to distance as a result, the end result is the same, we separate. The end result is that we are susceptible to isolation. We are lacking community. The end result is the same as if there was a government that wanted the church to stop meeting and persecuted them intentionally, they would have to go into a separation, into smaller and hiding groups. Now, we aren't in lockdown anymore, and of course, we're meeting here this morning. We are in Walton County, where the numbers are quite reasonable. We are very blessed for that. But all over the country, there are places that are hard hit, and they cannot meet in public gatherings without being a danger to one another. And the end the result is that Christianity, Christians, the one church, is spread out and separated and isolated in a way that I've never seen in my lifetime, my parents haven't seen in their lifetime, and nobody, not professors uh, in seminaries or anyone else, knows quite exactly what we're supposed to do about this. And so I call us to this moment. As the Spirit leads you and dwells in you and in our church, that He may call us to something new some format, some look or feel. We don't know, but it surely isn't already the same. It already isn't the same. As we face this pandemic, the Spirit, though, is building us together. As we face this time and we learn this isn't just, in the words of Andy Crouch, this isn't just a blizzard where we hunker down for a few days and let it pass and get back to the way things were. Now it feels more like a winter. It feels like a season where we don't know where the ending is. And we've got to find new ways of doing. 
Some of the old formats were cultural and will not hold up, but it will be up to true believers led by the one spirit to find those ways, to stop just hunkering down, but to find your calling, to answer his calling in building us together, to find your calling in cooperating with the spirit, doing new things, reaching out, making that phone call, using the digital means, doing what we must to cooperate with the Spirit, building us together. It's happened throughout history, time and again. And now it's our turn. It's our day. Are we ready to meet this calling? It will not be business as usual, right? It will be a mess. It will be weird. This is where God does some of his most incredible work. When things look a little crazy. We've been under a pandemic. We've also seen increasing racial division. And this is a tragic reality. It is not one that has gone away. And until our foundation is more firmly placed and lived out on Christ, I do not believe that it will change. I believe that it can change because the Spirit of God is involved. Because it says the Spirit of God is the one building us together. Because of that, we have a hope that there is a power beyond our own to give us the words and the deeds and the outreach or whatever that is not just of our own cleverness or design to reach across old racial divides. But it says that between these original ethnicities, Gentile and Jew, which again, I believe were as deep as you could do culturally, religiously, biologically, everything. When he says that out of that, they are made one and made into one new man, both. And goes on to give the principle that there's one father, one church, one spirit. But he says the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down as the flesh of Christ was torn. But the reality is that in communities, where uh, communities that are multicultural, multi-ethnic, we still have churches. And I'm not excluding ours. I'm not saying those other churches. We still have churches. And no matter your demographic, it's kind of the same across many demographics. In multicultural and multi-ethnic communities, we have the white church and the black church and the Hispanic church the old person church, the young person church, the church with these music preferences, the church with educated people and the church for working class people. And when we have these cultures, excuse me, communities full of different people, but our churches are separated by cultural lines, it testifies to our members and to a watching world that the flesh of Christ wasn't really torn down that the flesh of Christ torn on the cross didn't really have more power than our old cultural divides. But I believe differently. I believe that the blood of Christ which ran red on the cross is more powerful than any shade of skin color. That it will be difficult, that it will be messy, that it will be inconvenient, and, and at times just strange but that the blood of Christ 
gives us one foundation and that we can build together, be built together. And that when we do that, I want that to be our vision, Redeeming Grace, that we would be built together across the old cultural lines of whatever kind, that, uh, that it would testify to our membership and to a watching world. There is something different that holds them together. It's not the same kind of club as everywhere else where people come together because they're just like each other. That's what we do. We naturally congregate with people who are like us in every way, culturally, or nationally, by color. But when we come together with people who are not like us in those ways, it testifies that something else is at work. And we get a chance to both live out and feel and to express, to witness to a watching world that it is Christ, our cornerstone, on which we're founded. I've been leading community in various formats in several churches, and it's been an eye-opening experience. This truth that we congregate with people who look and sound and act just like us, it's natural, it kind of just happens. It is what we default to. There's a certain certainty, certain certainty. There's a lack of fear in gathering with people who are more like us. But the picture that God gives us of the new heaven and the new earth in the end is people of every tribe and tongue and nation gathered in one household and in one accord, united in Christ as a family. I, uh, I was leading small groups um, with the church and would help people to find community, Christian community. But I would constantly have people seeking community of people who were just like them, not expressing it that way. Nobody's saying, I'm looking for the white small group. But they would say, I'm looking for the seniors small group. They would do it by age because we have certain cultural acceptabilities, right? We have cultural sensitivities, and we are sensitive now, culturally, in a good way to race. And so nobody comes up saying, I want the small group for my, my race. But we don't do that with age. It's still culturally acceptable to be ageist. You get phrases like, okay, boomer, or something like that, you know, dumb millennials, or whatever they say about millennials, you know, to kind of dismiss in a race, what is it, snowflake, something like that. Um, I'm one of the older millennials, I was born in 82, so that's where I'm at. But we, we use these things to dismiss other ages, and then in the church, we group ourselves by them. I had people come up to me and say, I don't want to be in groups with younger people. We're past that stage. We don't want to be around them anymore. I was one of those younger people. I felt very specifically, you wouldn't want to be in a group with me. Thanks, I'll find you a good group. <laughs> This is, not, this is not Christian unity. I'm not saying there's never a time for a women's group or some kind of focused uh, uh, you know, endeavor. But I am saying that the heartbeat, the core way that we make community is not to be divided on the usual cultural lines. The church is rich. <laughs> when the young people will gather with the old, that's the biblical picture. What happens when we just get the young adults all together? and tell them to become mature adults, and give them no mature adults. <laughs> Woo! What happens when all the seniors gather together, and they wish the world was different, and that it would change, and that those young people would be different, but they don't invest in any young people? 
we don't make disciples, we don't move the mission. We don't experience the richness of community. And yes, again, it's difficult. You start bridging gaps in age, and things are tough. People say stuff, you know? You start bridging gaps in race or differences in race, things are tough. People are going to say wrong things. But we have a foundation. We have a cornerstone that is more solid than our sensitivities and that gives us the resources for deep forgiveness and community. To take us to the end here, Christ has overcome the greatest of divisions among his people shown in this passage. As his flesh was torn down, so were the walls that divide his people. He has one household, one new man. He reconciles us to God and he reconciles us to each other across all divides. He takes his people from far off to near. He takes his people from hostility to peace. He takes his people from isolated to access, from foreigners to fellow citizens, from strangers to members of the house, from alienated to joined together by his spirit. Christ makes us one family, builds us together. This phrase is important as well on the foundation, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. If you have the cornerstone of Christ, his gospel, his work, his words, and his ways, and you have the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, that's their teaching, that's the word of God, then you are one together. Again, the cornerstone of Christ and his gospel, the foundation of the word, the teaching of the apostles and the prophets, and then you are one. All other divisions uh, are ineffective if that is your foundation and cornerstone. One example of a thing that has been dividing us recently is, uh, is, this is a small example, but unfortunately it's illustrative of the approach that we've taken recently more and more uh, is these things, these guys. The latest source of division in our culture, and tragically, right into our churches. Masks. A response to COVID-19 now being a political football. I don't blame anybody for a difference of opinion. We all have, I think if you asked every person that you asked what they think about masks or having to wear a mask or anything like that, I think you'd get a slightly, at least slightly different opinion every time you ask another person. And I don't blame anybody for that, especially in today's world. Information is crazy hard to get accurate. There are so many different opinions and views and guidelines and things being said that I don't blame anyone for completely differing from me on opinion about what to do about masks. But our churches are dividing over these things. I have people who say they, if if you don't agree with my view on masks, then I will not fellowship. I will not participate with my church. I'm not going to be built together by the Spirit if you don't agree with me on these. Do you see the problem there? This means one of two things. One of those things might be that the foundation and your cornerstone and foundation might be different. When your cornerstone and foundation is on Christ and the teaching of his word, 
Other things do not divide us. I'll take that a step further, saying this, when it comes to these, our Christian response. I know they're inconvenient. I think the worst thing about these for me, working in the hot sun, still the worst thing is uh, smelling my own breath. I drink coffee, and then I put this thing on for the rest of the morning, and it just gets bad, and it just lowers like my self-esteem and everything, because I realize that's what people are normally dealing with. It's... And, and that's, you know, that's on top of all the sweat and, and other, you know, inconvenience of the thing, the heat. Um, I don't love these things. They're inconvenient. They feel bad. Whatever risks or anything that they pose, here's the deal. We have a Savior. We follow a Savior who stepped out of the glory with the Father and put on human flesh. Not a mask, but human skin and pain and hunger, and blood, and tears. He put on, a, he put on human flesh, walked among us, was, was born of a woman physically, and humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. And his followers won't put on a mask. We follow a savior who put on human flesh. It was a bit of an inconvenience for him. It was a bit of a health risk for him. If what it means is to love our neighbors is to be inconvenienced, even in disagreement. But if that's what it means to show love, we follow a savior who has far outdone us. Christian unity bridges all these divides. There is a problem when we divide over music style, opinions about masks, politics. If we cannot fellowship across the political aisle, this November is going to be ugly, not just for the culture, but for the church. We already have, uh, despite everything else, nothing expected, if nothing else expected for 2020 happens, we have on the calendar this year one of the most tumultuous, sens- sensational, uh, and divisive events in our society a presidential election. We've got to ask is our foundation on our political party, where we will separate fellowship? based on politics, or is our foundation in Christ Jesus? Can you have table fellowship, heart-to-heart, soul-felt fellowship, because of the same foundation in Christ Jesus, the same cornerstone, with someone across the political spectrum from you? That's what will be necessary for this coming season and beyond. A church that shows that the old divides do not separate us when we are united in Christ. I said I was wrapping up, so. My kids, um, they build with blocks. Kids over there, guys quiet down and uh, tune in. I'm talking about you. Um, Just trying to help the wife over there. But my kids build with blocks and when they're really young, they build with just the big blocks that, no. My goodness, my son brought one. I did not bring this, I promise. Um, They build with these (laughs) blocks. And I said, you know, the younger they are, but actually my oldest brought this one, so. Um, 
But when they're really young, you know, they place these on the ground and they just start stacking them up and they don't pay attention to where they place them. You know, they'll put them on the middle of the carpet. They'll put half the thing on the rug and half the thing on the wood floor. Do you know what I mean? They don't pay attention to where they start and what it's based on, what it's founded on. And they inevitably end up with this leaning tower, you know, this teetering, very fragile thing that they've created. And then they expect for their siblings to not run up and trash the whole thing. But the thing's already falling over, right? It's on a shaky foundation. They don't pay attention to the base very well. And I want you to know that whatever your foundation is this morning, wherever you're coming from, that if it is other than Jesus Christ, if the foundation, if what you're involved in, what you're building, what you're a part of, if its foundation isn't on Christ, then it is bound to fall. I mean capitalism. I mean socialism. I mean every ism. I mean every nation, every government. Every kind of thing that we can participate in, get involved in, become an activist for every movement, if it's not founded on Jesus Christ, it will collapse. I'm not saying there aren't things to be a part of that aren't worthwhile. I'm not saying don't be a, an activist on, and partnered with all kinds of people. Sure, do so. But recognize that if it's not built from the cornerstone of Christ who lays the foundation flat and makes the angles right for all eternity, it will fall. But there's this organization, this cornerstone is Christ. This foundation is square and true. And not because of us, not because we were smart or good builders. Actually, the builders rejected this cornerstone in the beginning. But it is true and it is eternal and it is good. And you, if you are in Christ, whether you've realized it or not, this is the good news. You, by his spirit, are being built into that structure the one that lasts forever, the one that is true, the one that will not fall and will not collapse because it is his spirit that is the mortar for these living stones. And you are being built into that together. My question for you this morning as we go, as we move to the next step in communion is, are you a glad, willing, cooperating with the spirit kind of believer? Are you taking the mortar of the Spirit and being built together and joined with other believers gladly? Or are you resisting him every step of the way? When you are on the foundation of Christ, the good news for you is that you are being built together. That it's not dependent on your power. It's already happening. Your soul is already stirred that way, even if you resist them in your actions. It says the Spirit is building those in Christ together. So I ask that you would move with us into these abnormal times, not knowing uh, which way to go or how to do it exactly, but that you would cooperate gladly with the Spirit in being built together with us. I'm going to pray. We're going to move in a time of communion, which is part of us participating and being built together as a people. Uh, let's pray as we close in the Word this morning. God, I pray that...